the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Podcast. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My special guest for this episode is a multi-award winning anti-racist campaigner and human rights activist. He's also the former Deputy Mayor of London, Mr Lee Jasper. Well, hello Lee. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? Yeah, very well, Nigel. Uh, Delighted to be on it. I am delighted to have you here. So what have you been up to during these very curious times? Making sure family uh, are safe and uh, those that need to be shielded are very well protected. Uh, getting my 86-year-old mother to uh, learn how to use uh, uh, a tablet and make video calls has been a very interesting challenge. Um, and uh, redecorated the house and done every odd job that my wife has had on the list for I don't know how many years as well as um, doing some work on consultancy and activism, promoting my own show, Lee Jasper Drive Time. So all in all, very busy, really. Ah, well, we're going to talk about your Drive Time show a little bit later on. But in the meantime, let's step back into the In Conversation time tunnel. Where did you grow up and what were your favourite subjects at school? I grew up in Manchester. Blitz uh, childhood. I grew up until I was about... uh, eight years old in Cheatham Hill, Manchester, and then from uh, eight until 19 uh, in uh, Oldham, just outside Manchester, Old Mill Town. Favourite subjects were school were English, uh, sports uh, and science. Well, having done a little bit of reading up, I understand you were excluded from school. How old were you when that happened and why were you excluded? I was excluded from school... Uh, five times in total but um, I was excluded initially for fighting with teachers I was at a school which had switched from a grammar school to a comprehensive school so it was way back in the day in in the early 1970s and the way in which old grammar school teachers sought to interact with uh, young black people was unbelievable really and they tried to instill the same level of grammar school discipline uh, and talking to young people uh, in that old English way uh, that they can up north. Uh, and it didn't really work. And so we came into open conflict. So that was the first time I got uh, expelled. The rest of the times were really around various racial conflicts with groups of white boys at the time. And we were very common conflict and they would invariably lose out as a result. And of course whether you were defending yourself or didn't matter to school authorities, uh, black boys were just routinely expelled. At one point, I remember being in a class full of Bangladeshis 
who didn't even speak English. Uh, and <laughs> most of the black boys were in the in the lower stream with the Bangladeshis, uh, and we spoke perfect English. So um, the racism in the early 70s in the British school system was really something that uh, you had to experience to be believed. So what type of work did you do after you left school? Initially, when I left school, I worked making, selling women's tights on a, a market store. So wow. I started that before I left school uh, on a Saturday morning. And then uh, as I left school, I then went to work there full time. And I would sell all the shades of ladies' stockings to uh, all those uh, ladies who uh, were uh, purchasing them. So, yeah, ladies' stockings. And I went on to make in a factory that made television tubes, those big bulbous television tubes of old. Uh, and we would take old television tubes uh, recycle them uh, and glass weld uh, them new tubes at the back and put in new electrical equipment and resell them on and I did that for a number of years too Wow, that's certainly a very interesting career path <laughs> <laughs> to say the least ladies tights and television tubes <laughs> uh, yeah. well Lee you describe yourself as a human rights activist also an anti-racist activist when did you become interested in fighting injustices and becoming an activist? Yeah, I think that, uh, I had a mother that was always uh, taught me to defend the underdog. And throughout her life, she would always be supporting the underdog. And I think that was bred into me as a very young, uh, a very young boy. And when I was at school and saw the injustice of the number of exclusions that we were being faced, and then back then, of course, the sus laws were in place uh, where a police officer could stop you and arrest you for committing a crime to persons or property unknown and you would appear in front of a magistrate without a jury and the officer would simply say they look suspicious that they were about to commit a crime and you would be convicted of that crime so quickly became it was a small black community as I was growing up and as a teenager in, in, in Oldham. And the police were violent, they were racist, uh, and they were dragooning uh, young black boys from off the street. And that really fired up my sense of injustice and probably set me on the path to being a human rights activist. So what do you believe are the causes of racists and racism? Well, white supremacy is the cause of racism, uh, it's a culture uh, and a systemic institutionalized uh, system of discrimination <clears throat> that racially profiles and targets people of color. And my community is the African and Caribbean uh, community. And we, we know through our long history that uh, we have been long subject to that sort of discrimination, which today, unfortunately, has resulted in disproportionate number of deaths within our community from the Corovade virus as a consequence of our structural inequality and poor health brought on by low wages and poverty and bad housing. We now see the real consequences of that discrimination. So who or what inspired your interest in politics? I think it was always a big fan when I was growing up of Martin Luther King in the 60s. I used to watch him as a child at my grandparents' house in Cheatham Hill. From there, Malcolm X was a, a big feature uh, on the TV screens. Muhammad Ali was also a huge influence uh, on me at the time. And as we got on, the, you know, people like John Kennedy, 
President John Kennedy of the United States also captured my attention. So yeah, all of these figures really had a compelling and profound impact as an early, as an in my early childhood, on my political life. I think as a teenager, you know, one looked up to people like Reverend Jesse Jackson, uh, Nelson Mandela while he was still on Robben Island. People forget he was in there for twenty odd years. And I actually remember making a T-shirt with Nelson Mandela uh, ANC's name on the back. I was doing some tie-dyeing at a local community centre and uh, had a, a spare white t-shirt. So I thought, let me put Nelson Mandela at ANC on the back, which I did. I remember first wearing this t-shirt uh, in about 82, 81. And uh, people were giving me hassle on the street that I'm wearing a t-shirt with a terrorist name on it. <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, Margaret Thatcher did label Nelson Mandela a terrorist. No, absolutely. And it was just after that. I think it might have been the exact same year. So uh, I know that she uh, inspired the local white community to take that view. But I'd known about his uh, struggle uh, and read up about it as I was in university. So, uh, yeah, these are the people uh, inspired me. But also Winnie Mandela. I mean, people tend to dismiss Winnie Mandela. But when Nelson Mandela was in, in, in jail... Uh, Winnie Mandela strolled the world and made sure that the struggle and her husband's name was resonant around the country. And I always remember looking up with great admiration to the way in which she fearlessly uh, faced down the apartheid regime. Uh, and she was, she was also another great inspiration. You have a degree in social sciences. Why did you yeah. choose that particular subject? Well, I'd been to prison as a consequence of uh, fighting with the police officers. Uh, so I would never submit to racism easy and uh, ended up spending a time in jail. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X while I was in jail. And when I came out, I decided I wanted to really do something to help my community. Once I'd um, given it was 1981 and the riots of 81 had just taken place. One of the good things Margaret Thatcher did do was post-riots, she decided that if you had no qualifications, you could take a foundation course. And if you got through it, the government would pay uh, for you to go to university. So I took a foundation course. Um, on that course, I was taught by the wife of Professor Gus John. Her name was Professor Jill John. Uh, and she was a advocate for radical black history and black politics, both in the United Kingdom and abroad. So my foundation year before going to degree was that. And then once I began to look at what degrees were on offer, I liked the fact that social science involved economic, economics, sociology, psychology, research methodology, uh, and all of those I thought would be useful uh, in relation to being an advocate for my community. In the 1980s, you became involved with the Notting Hill Carnival. How did that come about? Well, because uh, I'd done that foundation course with uh, Professor Jill John, and she'd uh, given me the history of the Mangrove uh, Community Association and told me about the Mangrove 11, Darkus Howe, Frank Critchlow, Notting Hill Carnival. So when I eventually became employed and uh, got my first job uh, after coming out of university in uh, uh, London, I was working as a homeless uh, charity in Peckham and across my desk came a leaflet saying, 
that uh, Frank Critchlow had been falsely arrested and fitted up by the Metropolitan Police Service. And there was a community meeting to that effect. I went to the community meeting and um, I went there just to, to hear what was happening. I got recruited into the Mangrove Community Association and I ended up staying there for 15 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, then I became, uh, I got involved in the carnival, became chief steward for uh, All Saints Road, which if anybody knows carnival knows that All Saints Road is the beating heart of carnival. Chair of the Mangrove Community Association and one time was the general secretary for uh, Notting Hill Carnival itself. So I uh, had a very rich and uh, in-depth political education of the finest. I mean, it's a PhD level of education to work at the Mangrove Community Association so, and Notting Hill Carnival. And how do you feel about Carnival being cancelled this year? I think it was inevitable, really, given the scale of death as a consequence of the virus. And black people are more subject to that uh, virus. So uh, I think all in all, it's probably in in the best interests of uh, Londoners and more specifically the black community that we furlough Carnival for this year uh, and hopefully come back bigger and better even next year. On the 22nd of April 1993, Stephen Lawrence, the black British teenager from Plumstead, London, was brutally murdered. How did you become involved with the Stephen Lawrence campaign and what was your role? Well, I uh, was already in that area of London because people won't know, but Stephen Lawrence was the fifth young black person to die in that area. And so as a member of the National Black Caucus, a radical social movement, national black uh, uh, movement that we were involved in at the time, was already working with families who'd been victims of racist attacks and murders in the area. So we were already working up there. Uh, trying to raise consciousness and, and challenge the police on their failure to tackle these attacks by white white racist gangs. And of course, when Stephen Lawrence happened, I'd already been involved in the Roland Adams campaign, uh, reached out and brought over the Reverend Al Sharpton to be part of that campaign and bring an international spotlight on the death of Roland Adams. And of course, uh, 12 months later, Stephen Lawrence died. So we were already on the streets uh, of South East London London. We're already alive to the reality of extreme racist right-wing groups who were riling up local youths to, you know, attack and resist what they called the black invasion uh, of people moving into the area. So I immediately contacted the family and was involved in campaigning on their behalf because of my contacts with the mangrove. And we were um, take the mangrove steel band down to the uh, South Africa house. There used to be a 24-hour anti-apartheid picket down there. And once a year, we used to take the band down there and play outside South Africa house for the anti-apartheid uh, 24-hour picket, carry a whole lot of black people with us. So we became very friendly with ANC colleagues who were here in the United Kingdom. And that meant when Nelson Mandela was released, we were very close with the ANC and I managed to convince him when he came here that he needed to meet the Lawrence family. So I was able to organise a very now famous visit of uh, Nelson Mandela meeting uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence, which really turbo boosted the campaign in terms of national and international awareness uh, with 
Nelson Mandela saying that black lives were cheap in the United Kingdom. Do you believe there has been any great changes since the tragic murder of Stephen Lawrence? Well, there have been great changes. I'm not so sure they're for the better. Um, Certainly, we've seen a decrease in the number of racist murders, white people on black, but they've been sadly replaced by our young people murdering themselves, uh, a far greater number than was ever the case when we were victims of racism uh, from white extremists. Black deaths in custody uh, numbers have reduced so there aren't as many black men who die in police, black men and women who die in police custody as there was back then. But on the other hand, the number of black men and women who are incarcerated in prison and jail has increased dramatically. Uh, racial inequality, the gap between black and white in terms of wealth, education, employment, average pay rates, average education rates and so on and so forth all of those have widened particularly over the last 20 years and particularly over the last 10 years as a consequence of austerity so in many ways although some aspects of racism have become less pernicious other aspects have become as equally toxic Uh, and overall i'd say things have got worse rather than better I first met you back in October 1998 at the 10,000-man march, partly organised by the Nation of Islam, UK. At the time, I was studying a qualification in radio broadcasting. And as part of that course, I had to produce a documentary. So I chose the Nation of Islam. And just by chance, I happened to see you at the event and I asked you for a few comments. Uh, whether it'll be a, a black movement or whether it'll be a civil rights movement, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, certainly, I think you're going to see a movement in the UK. We discussed the possibility of a movement growing in the UK. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Do you think there will ever be a movement for racial equality in the UK that is effective? I think there will be a movement in the UK that is a civil rights movement that will be effective. I think that is that we've only been in huge numbers in Britain since the early 50s, although we've been here for 2,000 years, according to British historical uh, records. You know, there were Ethiopian princes and princesses buried at the uh, foot of Hadrian's Wall, and the historian Robin Walker and others have made mention of the fact of the longevity of our historical presence in the United Kingdom. But we've been here in big numbers since the 1950s and the arrival of the Windrush. And the reality is, is that it takes time for uh, a community to build up the kind of civil rights movement we've seen in the United States. One must remember that the United States African-American community have been a singular cultural phenomena within America for 350 years and for the last 100 or so years since the abolition of slavery. So their struggle has been a lot longer, a lot deeper, and their, uh, and the development of the institution of African churches like the AME Zion Church, where and the churches related to you know the kind of pan-Africanism that we saw under Garvey and the Ethiopian Coptic churches are well developed in America. Whereas in Britain, we're a fairly new community in that regard, and sometimes the comparisons with what we see in the states and what we see here are unfair to that extent. But I do think that as a consequence of COVID and what we've seen of the reality of structural racism and inequality, that this next generation not only 
are they inspired by trying to save the planet planet by combating global climate change? Well, they're now alive to the fact that social inequality can literally mean life or death uh, when you're facing the kind of biological uh, existential threat of a COVID crisis. In America, the Black Lives Matter movement has risen in significance in recent years after the deaths of several black people. What do you think of the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I think the Black Lives Matter movement is, a, you know, a, a new extension of the civil rights movement in America. It's one where young black activists are gathering together and making what they can in terms of resisting the white supremacy that sees African uh, Americans, you know, almost by the month being slaughtered. Uh, needlessly murdered by either white American citizens or white uh, police officers. So I think that the movement is dynamic. It's uh, seeking to make an impact. It uh, cites the realities of white supremacism and structural inequality as being the enemy of the African-American community. And thank God for them, because um, without them, there wouldn't be the kind of protests that we're seeing on the street that are so reminiscent of 1968, uh, demanding you know, equality and justice for African-Americans. I am very happy to say you have won numerous awards for your work as an activist. Which one surprised you the most and why? I think uh, the one that surprised me the most is I got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Union of Black Students. And funny enough, the MP who's recently been elected, uh, uh, Belavia uh, Ribeiro, the Labour Party, uh, the MP who took over from Chukka Unma, was a student activist back in those days, and she was the Black Students' Campaigns Officer for the National Union of Students. And I'd spoken, I'd helped form the National Union of uh, the Black Students' Campaign in the NUS. And as a consequence of helping form it, I spoke every year at their annual conference for something like 17 years straight, wow. uh, motivating students to keep their focus. And I think it was uh, in her last year, which must have been about 2006, seven. I was due to give awards away and I was given an award by them for my lifetime commitment to their struggle and uh, that holds uh, pride of place in my trophy uh, cabinet. Another one that I am really proud of is uh, Black Community Activist of the Year Award from The Voice in uh, 1996, I think it was. Uh, And that was when the owner, Val McCalla, was owner of The Voice. And back then, The Voice was a radical campaigning paper for black equality and rights and really reflected the black community in a vibrant and dynamic way. Uh, and so I was delighted to be able to receive that one too. Well, your work continues. You have sat on many committees during the years. Which committees do yeah. you currently sit on? Uh, at the moment, I'm a founder member of Black Sox. So Black Sox is a, a social movement in which uh, black professionals and activists uh, give their time and pendently sponsor or a self-help movement. I'm very proud of that one. I'm chair of Lambeth Youth Safety Forum, which is a network of all of the voluntary sector organisations working throughout Lambeth with young people. I'm chair of the Lambeth Community Safety Alliance, which is a committee that is dedicated to developing public health uh, framework to tackle violence with against young young people, women and girls uh, in the borough. Yeah, the, all, of, all of that means I keep very busy. So it seems. So besides politics and being an activist, what other interests do you have? 
have an allotment, uh, which I'm very proud of. Spent the day on there today in the lovely sunshine. So we have a landlocked piece of uh, greenery near where we live. And it was uh, woefully underused and we managed to get access to the land and raise some money for its redevelopment. And we have really developed what is a lovely secret garden. Most people walk past it, don't know it's there because the entrance is really unusual. You have to unlock some gates and go down another long path and then go through another gate. And all of a sudden you're into a fantastic half acre which is full of allotments uh, we seeded that with lots of plants in fact when my daughter got married uh, four or five years ago we grew the we planted the plant, uh, flowers for her wedding in the garden and the following summer uh, the when the plants bloomed she had her wedding in the garden itself with a lovely band and musicians and lots of leaf flowers that were planted so every time we go to our allotment uh, to grow our uh, cauliflower and cucumber and spring onion and because uh, I'm a great uh, grower of those plants then we're always reminded of the day our daughter got married because the flowers we bought for that wedding the plants we bought for there are still blooming and uh, a lovely reminder of that glorious day gardening is uh, something that I do to relax I also train quite hard so man of mayor just to keep himself in as good a condition as he can uh, and so I tend to do uh, weight training. Uh, I've got my bicycle, so I'm riding up and down uh, as well. So, yeah. I understand you also started a drive time show recently. What station is that on and when is it on? Lee Jasper Drive Time has been on now for about a year. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's run by a platform called Medianet TV, which is, you can Google and find. Uh, it's been a huge success. I had lots of interviews with people who have faced profound injustices and of late because we are in lockdown i re redecorated my spare bedrooms into a youtube studio and i've been broadcasting from there every saturday i'll be broadcasting from there uh, every saturday for the for the ongoing future between 10 a.m and 12 focusing on a variety of topics we've done black men's mental health women's mental health we've done the coronavirus and also we've done some big international programs just last week we had uh, what we call Black Sox Global, Black Social Movement, pulled together Reverend Al Sharpton from New York, Professor Clesalilia Pretes from Brazil, who really give a powerful insight into the deep apartheid that Afro-Latinos, Afro-Brazilians are facing in Brazil, a level of racism that is concurrent with the apartheid South Africa in the 80s. It's really going to be seen to be believed. And uh, as well as uh, activists from France, Australia and others into an international discussion about the impact of COVID on the international African diaspora. So between Drive Time and Black Sox Global, which is now running every month with a series of global debates. Yeah, it's been my other abiding passion. So Lee, how can people contact you? Okay, well, I'm the most uh, active person on social media <laughs> as a black activist. <laughs> I'm so sure you. I'm you sure you are. In case of how can you get away from me, really? So, <laughs> if you Google Lee Jasper, you'll find that I'm very easily contactable. But people can email me. People can email me 
on lee-jasper at live.com but i've also got a blog spot lee jasper blog spot find me on facebook you can find me on youtube and you can find me on instagram so and even whatsapp so i'm all over the social media easily found well with your profile i would hope you are easily found sir (laughs) (laughs) i know the police are happy to (laughs) i know the police are happy to know where i am at all times Mr. Lee Jasper, thank you very much for your time. Very much appreciated. Well, a delight, and keep up the good work because I'm listening to your podcasts, and they always uh, provide me with a smile and some interesting insights into people's lives. So you're you're chronicling Black British history, and you're to be applauded for it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate that. No worries. Please like the podcast and subscribe to this channel. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.